missing girls. I haven't seen my daughter in, in over a month. I don't know what happened to her. A decade of mystery. Ten years ago today, Kara Kopetsky disappeared. Security video shows her walking out of her Belton High School, and no one has seen her since. One thing in common. Kara's ex-boyfriend, Kyler Used. Kyler Used in the custody in Edwards, Missouri. Kyler Used. It's Kyler Used. Kyler Used. And the murder trial that could end it all. I don't know anything about where she is or about what happened. I wish I did. Journey for Justice, the trial of Kyler Eust. Kyler, where's Jessica? I have no idea, sir. A limited series on 41 Files by 41 Action News. Welcome back to our fifth episode in our limited series on 41 Files by 41 Action News, talking about the murder trial of Kyler Eust. Um, just to remind you, I'm Caitlin Brown. And I'm Haley Godburn. We are digital content producers at 41 Action News and podcasters as well. Um, today, we are joined again by our reporters, uh, Andres Gutierrez and Sarah Plake, who have been following the story um, ever since they worked at KSHB, really. Um, so they're going to bring us some more perspective on um, the girls' families today. Right. So just to remind you, like this is a case that's very near and dear to a lot of people in Kansas City. Um, two girls went missing and their bodies were found. One of them, it was almost a decade later before she was found. And we talked about that in the last several episodes. So if you want to catch up, you can head to kshb.com slash used trial and read up on the case details, or you can listen to our previous few episodes. So that's kind of where we left off is that, you know, uh, Kyler Use is charged with the murders of Kara Kapetsky and Jessica Runyon's, and the trial is coming up. Today, Caitlin, I wanted to start off with some words about Jessica that our newsroom got from her mother, Jamie Runyon's. She wrote, she had a beautiful smile and laugh. She lit up the room. She adapted to my philosophy as a nurse and treated others how they wanted to be treated, how she wanted to be treated. She was good to everyone and was an advocate against bullies in high school. Um, she always rooted for the underdog and loved working at Foxwood Springs. Her residents there at the assisted living facility adored her. She was also very close to her family, particularly her grandparents and sisters. She would spend summers at her grandparents' pools and she loved music and dancing. The girls had many dance parties in the kitchen while they cooked together. Jamie says music was Jessica's outlet and she even learned to play the violin. Her sisters adored her and they were her life. Um, she'd do anything for them, Jamie says. She loved animals, writing, reading, and always wanted to be a writer. Her sister and her wanted to write children's books and had a lot of ideas for them. She wasn't much of a cook, but she did love to bake and she made birthday cakes for her sisters and other family members. She's definitely missed by all of us. So Sarah, I wanted to bring you in here because you're pretty close with Jamie Runyon's and the Runyon's family. Do you have anything to add um, to what her, her mom said there? I just talked to Jamie the other day and um, she kind of echoed that she wants to first just thank the whole community for caring so much about their girls and caring for their family. Um, this has been a really, really uh, tough time, obviously, because um, it's been almost five years and I didn't even realize it's been that long. Um, but yeah, Jessica was really close to really, really close to her sisters, kind of like Jamie is close to her sisters and close to like her family. 
Um, her sisters right now are 18 and 10 and her, the youngest one was just five years old when Jessica went missing. So if you think about from the ages of five to 10, I mean, that's, that's, those are really, um, I guess, formative years and same with her sister, her, her other younger sister, who's 18. Um, she stayed in town to go to college. Like she didn't want to like move away because then she wanted to stay and, and like be here with her family and, and be in court and be here for the trial. So uh, there, the family has made a lot of sacrifices, but it's all for the, it's all for the girls. It's all, you know, it's all for Jessica and Cara. Cause whenever, um, Jamie talks about this whole thing. She includes Cara. It's like Cara and, and Jessica are one, you know, and that's how Jamie feels too. She, she feels that, um, the girls brought her and the Beckfords together and both of them together, they're stronger together than they would be apart. And they really lean on each other and depend on each other. Um, but yeah, family was everything for, for Jessica and for the Runyons. So I know a lot of, um, at every court, hearing families are there. What family members attend these? Is it just Jamie? Do the sisters attend? Like, and what about like Cara's family? The Runyon's family rolls deep. Um, like Jamie and all of her family, her, her mom, her parents, yeah, her mom and dad, her, uh, sisters, her, um, you know, kind of some of their extended like aunts and uncles and things like that. Uh, her younger sisters, Jessica's younger sisters are not in court. Um, I think I've been to a couple of them where the older sister, the one who's 18, she's been there, uh, but, but not the youngest one. I think it's just too tough. Um, and uh, they're always there. And I know J uh, Jessica's dad is also there too. Um, Jessica's dad and Jamie are not together, but um, they're there too. Um, and he's got his kind of circle of people and the Beckfords are there. Uh, and uh, some of their family members too, like grandparents and things like that. So there, I mean, if you think about having to go to all these court hearings, I mean, your life has to be put on hold, like on hold, you know, because you've got to go to court and that's something that they're really dedicated to doing. And the one thing that I think is notable is that they always sit, the Beckfords and Jamie Runyon's always sit right next to each other, uh, usually in the first row there in the of the courtroom. Uh, and so they've always have been this close ever since the girls went missing, or at least uh, since uh, Jessica ended up going uh, missing uh, back in tw uh, 2016. And so they, 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 ever since then, they've always been together. You know, I told you on the other episode that they were together when they got the call from the Belton Police Department saying that there could have been a possibility that there had been some resolution in the case and that they had been asked to go down there to the police department. So ever since really day one, uh, that when they knew that Kyler used was kind of the common link in between the cases, they, uh, they kind of brought these two families together who had never known each other prior to that day until all of this unraveled. Yeah. And I think I touched on that a little bit too, in the last podcast, like it, it's so powerful. It's so moving to me when Jamie says that she finds some comfort knowing the girls are together. I mean, that, that just hits me, you know, that makes makes you want to cry like um they were found together and they're going to be together they are together right now and so are their families and they're united they that's really important to them to be united so that they can get through this trial and uh, hopefully get justice they they are looking for 
I wanted to ask when they're sitting together in the courtroom through all of these hearings, like what is their demeanor? Like, do they show any emotion on their face? Like how many of these has Kyler Yu's been there in person? How do they react to that? Yeah. I mean, Kyler's always there. Um, and the family's there too. They, it's usually the Beckfords, Jamie and all their family on the opposite side of him. I think they would just want to have a, a good view of everything and be able to see. But I noticed that it's really Jessica's dad who makes a lot of like, who looks at used a lot. Um, but the Beckfords, Runyons, all of them, they, they don't really look at him. Um, they just kind of, they're very cool, calm and collected. And that's for a, a reason, you know, I, I think I touched on that before they, that's also a reason why they don't uh, do interviews or they're not talking like publicly, you know, uh, after every single hearing, they, they just want to just kind of be, just be quiet and wait until after the trial is over to talk. And I'll, and I'll say Kyler never does make a point to look back at the family. He'll look straight ahead towards like the witness stand uh, or he'll converse with his uh, attorneys, but he never makes it a point to kind of taunt the family or give any, you know, gaze in their, in their direction. So no. uh, that, that's one thing that, that I've noticed from where I'm sitting usually in the back of the courtroom. Yeah. I think in the, like when he was first arrested and first going to court, I think people were really emotional then. And I think Je Jessica's dad, like they had to hold him back or he wanted to, you know, jump over the, over the, uh, the aisles there. But, um, yeah, they've really made it a point to just be very reserved and very put together, which is, I think, pretty admirable because I don't know how they're I don't I don't know how I personally would still be together you know myself if I had to go through that I will say that during the beginning of the hearings in Cass County uh, there were some times where the family were uh, were to speak but as the proceedings kept going they really stopped talking to the media because again they didn't really want to jeopardize you know of them saying anything that the defense could then in turn use against them uh which you know has been the case uh during the last few few motions hearings that just recently occurred you know the defense team was trying to make the argument well there's been so much media publicity there's no way that the jury is going to be you know fair to kyler if it were to be held here in cass county and then uh the prosecution's like well the jurors are coming out of St. Charles County. They should have no knowledge of what's happening here with this case locally, unless they somehow are looking for it, which they, you know, they, they I would imagine that wouldn't be the case. Uh, but again, the family and initially was trying to make sure that the case, you know, that they, that we, the press got some type of reaction from them during, after the initial court hearings. But again, then soon after that, if, you know, um, they stopped talking to us, which is understandable. Again, they don't want to do anything that could hurt the, uh, the trial in the long term. When I was talking to Jamie, she's, she's always said this. she wants to make sure he, he gets a fair trial. You know, he, she, for a family, you don't want to go through this again. They want to get it over with. Like they want to get this trial done and that's the goal here. And that's why they don't want to say anything. They're, they're not going to go on TV and say what a bad, person he is you know you know what I mean like I'm just using that as an as an example but um they want to get this trial done and this be the only trial so that they can put the girls to rest um because if you think about it the girls are still in the morgue like they're not even they're not buried they're not you know they had a celebration of life for them um but it's it's really a 
a, a monumental thing for the family to be able to put the put them to rest and let them have peace. You think um, once the trial is all buttoned up and there's some sort of resolution that the families will again step into the spotlight and give some perspective on their side of the story, or do you think they'll maybe step back and um, have their peace that way? No, I think they'll be ready to talk once it's over with. They just have to protect everything, protect themselves, protect the case right now. Right. Do you think they'll still be, you know, they're together a lot right now and after the trial's over, do you think they'll still be close? Absolutely. Jamie and the Beckfords, they talk like every week, um, almost every day. And then they actually meet up and like go out to lunch or eat lunch together every week. So they're really close. And I think, I don't think I, I don't think that'll ever go away given what they've all gone through. I want to go back a little, you know, before the trial, when the girls were missing, and I know you guys have covered some of the, um, you know, the search parties and the walks they do in remembrance. Do you guys want to talk about those and what those were like and who was attending and just kind of the demeanor of friends and family there? Well, they did have a couple of uh, fundraisers and events to try and raise awareness to the girls' disappearance. And it was, again, a lot of the supporters in the community just remember that there were massive search parties that were happening right after Jessica went missing. Um, and, and it wasn't just the family members. It was people who just all over the community heard the story, knew that Kyler used connection, and they wanted to try to find them. Um, and it's, you know, it's, again, um, it, it is really, you know, it, it's incredible that, you know, that, that this mushroom, you know, hunter, you know, a year later was able to make this discovery because at least it, it br- is bringing them some, some, some sense of closure. But for, at those fundraisers, again, it wasn't just the small groups of, you know, family uh, and friends. It was, again, so just an outpour of support from the community. Yeah, Andres, I wanted to touch on what you just said, the mushroom hunter. Um, Jamie said that they had been so they had been so fed up, like so uh, frustrated. It had been months since she had gone missing, Jessica, and they were just, you know, searching and searching and and not getting any answers. And she was like, it's like one of those things where you, you almost give up. You're like on the verge of giving up and then something happens like, a, you know, something there's a sign. And they were literally they were set to go search that exact area the next day. And the mushroom hunter found the remains. And she says she believes it was Jessica working. Like it it was Jessica saying, wait a minute, you know, mom, you're not going to find me like saving her from that trauma and that uh, saving the family from all of that um, trauma of finding her remains. She thinks it was Jessica kind of working through some someone else um, so that somebody else could find them and not the family. Cause it, I mean, it was all of them. It was her parents, uh, grandparents, sisters, aunts, cousins, all of them were out. And I mean, if you think about finding your own daughter's remains, that's probably the most terrible thing that could ever happen to you. And so Jamie's like, it was Jessica that made it so that the mushroom hunter found her. I can't speak to his experience. We haven't heard from him yet. He is on the witness list for the trial, I believe, but I mean, I'm sure it was a traumatic experience for him too. I mean, you're out hunting for mushrooms and you come across what you think are human remains. I can't imagine that, but, um, it is sort of maybe a, a blessing in disguise. Like you said, Sarah, um, their perspective on it is that at least it wasn't the family that had to find, find these remains. 
Yeah, because they were searching all over. They were, like I said, they were set to search that exact area the next day. It's just crazy how things work out. Have the families mentioned anything else they've been grateful for through the process, whether it be support from, you know, the community or the investigation, or like, have they talked about what they hope happens next? Jamie just wanted to say that she is, you know, so grateful for the community support and the community's help. Um, I, she stressed that several times. She just wants to thank the community for always um, being there and um, loving their girls. Again, the hardest thing here in the last uh, few months and uh, really, really the past year since the, the court proceedings have began in this case is that, again, the family isn't speaking. But uh, I know that at, after uh, last motion hearing, you know, the family stepped out and they didn't want to talk, but, you know, they just wanted to thank us for the support. And I think it, personally, the media, uh, I think in making sure that uh, their story is still kept alive, because if uh, the one thing that's notable is that when Kara went missing back in 2007, it's the same day that the Greenberg, uh, the tornado happened down there in uh, in uh, Greensburg. And so in, in, in doing so, you know, they didn't get the attention from the media about her her going missing for the first week, you know, and it wasn't until really, you know, Russ also did start doing all those stories uh, from our station that it also attracted some more attention as well. So Russ Batasic, yeah. Yes. Yeah. We covered all of her walks, all of her missing walks, cars. Um, every year the family would have a walk in Belton. Um, you know, they'd hold up signs and put up, you know, posters and flyers and things like that. Um, you know, this is the second year, the third year, the fourth, the fifth, sixth, you know, it just went on and on and on. Um, and I think it was, yeah, it was the very last walk that, um, I think at that point, um, yeah, I think at that point, Jessica had, was missing and they had made the connection. And so at that point they were holding up signs that said, you know, justice for Cara and Jessica. So, you know, it was, it was always an effort for both of them and I do want to also ask um when you're at the hearings is our family members for Kyler there like does he have any representation in the courtroom no he's never I don't think nope I have not seen a single person for Kyler I've talked to his mother though um and, and don't ask I, I cannot for the life of me uh, remember the exact town where she lives and I wouldn't say it anyway on here but um I've spoken to her and um, she was pretty hesitant to talk and um, not in very good health, but she's never, she's never been at any of the hearings. Andres, you had talked to some of his family previously too, right? Right. And, and unfortunately, uh, two of them have passed. So I did talk to his brother, Jessup Carter, uh, soon after he had got arrested for a separate case that eventually we learned had some ties to the girl's disappearance. Uh, but he ended up committing suicide while in jail for an arson case in which, in which he apparently, according to law enforcement, was trying to burn evidence associated with with the girl's disappearance. And then separately, his grandfather, Alfred Hughes, has, who um, was, he, he was staying, at one point, Kyler was staying with him um, when the girls went missing. And uh, he actually showed us, Alfred invited us into the home and showed us around kind of like where Kyler was sleeping. And uh, he's passed away in the last year. Uh, so these were two people that could have potentially been uh, key witnesses for the defense who 
are um, and prosecution with uh, with Justin Carter, but they're no longer with us. Yeah, and they were Kyler was using his grandparents as the alibi, basically in Jessica's case. Um, yeah. Supposedly he was with them, like getting gas, visiting like an aunt at, at, at a retirement home, and now what? Of uh, the family members of the girls planning to testify in the murder trial. We know that witness lists uh, and exhibit lists are supposed to be exchanged here at some point. We have yet to receive those, uh, but I do know that uh, both uh, the Beckfords went up to the witness stand at a, uh, one of the motion hearings when they were trying to say that the judge, they were the, the defense was alleging that the judge mm. and the Beckfords had talked about the case years ago. And so the defense was trying to say, well, there's going to be an obvious conflict of interest there. Uh, and eventually a judge from Henry County that was appointed by the Missouri Supreme Court said uh, eventually, no, that he didn't have they, that the defense did not prove enough, didn't have enough evidence to make that allegation. And so they allowed that judge, the current judge, uh, William, uh, William Collins to stay on the case. But uh, that's the only time here recently that I've seen the Beckfords up there on the witness stand. And it was really brief, uh, you know, just less than 10 minutes up on the stand. Yeah, I'm looking at a, an older version of um, the witness list, and I don't know if it's going to change at all. This is as of April 3rd, 2018. The witness list is really long, but yeah, it does list uh, Jim and Rhonda Beckford, and it does list Jamie Runyon's and it lists um, Jessica's dad, John Runyon's. Can you guys explain just for maybe people who aren't as well versed in court cases, like what a witness list is and um, if all of those people are going to be called to the stand or maybe just a select few? I mean, the witness list is like hundreds of people, so I can't imagine they'd call every single person up there. But um, a witness list is basically just people who are in, in any way, shape or form connected to the case. So it's parents, uh, friends. Um, you know, somebody maybe you worked with, um, all the detectives, the police officers, the patrolmen, you know, um, literally everybody who's, who's touched the case. I don't know, Andres, if you want to explain that a little bit better than what yeah, I did. Essentially here in the U S you, if you want a fair trial, both sides have to present what they have. Right. And that's what mm -hmm. has taken so long for this case to go through the court system is that the defense has been saying, well, we need more. It's part of the, the beginning pro steps of a court case is the discovery process, right? In which uh, the prosecution essentially says, here's everything we have on the case and presents it to the defense. And the defense, uh, you know, and there are literally hundreds of thousands of pages and, and CDs and all this uh, pieces of evidence that the defense has had to review. And, and so that has slowed down the process, right? Because every time they're, you know, the defense has uh, essentially asked for continuance after continuance saying, we need more time to review the evidence the the evidence during discovery uh and so the witness list you know it's exchanged because they want to say okay the prosecution says well here's who we're planning to talk here's what we plan to present in court now these are all expectations it's not saying that it's going to actually happen but they both essentially both sides have to say well here's who we are, are are thinking of calling just because again they want everything to be out there in the open no surprises. I, I, can, I think that's the biggest thing. I do not anticipate uh, there might be hearings. You know, I, I think that uh, for us, we were all waiting to see, well, is the judge going to move the whole case? Because at one point here recently, they were trying, the defense was trying to move the, the whole case up to Charles, St. Charles County, where the jury selection is happening. Uh, there may be little things where little cliffhangers, uh, but we know they're coming. There should not be any surprise 
going into this trial here in a few weeks. Everything we've heard from you guys today is a good reminder of just how intermingled the community is in this case and how important it is to so many people. Like you never know who you're brushing shoulders with on a certain day that may not be there the next day. And I think it's important for us to have this discussion and humanize the court case. You know, you see it on true crime shows and it's just, you know, it's the accused murderer and then it's the courtroom. But I think it's important to remember that there are families behind these faces and a lot of other people who are affected by the outcome of this case. So I want to thank you guys for adding perspective to that for our listeners. Absolutely. Thank you. And I think with that, we can wrap up this episode. Um, We have one more planned for you guys to kind of talk more about the upcoming case. And we want to thank Sarah and Andres, as usual, for being awesome additions to our podcast episodes. And so once again, this has been Caitlin and Haley for our limited series on 41 Files. And if you want to keep reading, you can go to kshb.com slash use trial. Thank you.